the topic of our discussion this morning is the gospel. What is the gospel? What does the gospel say to us? And what does the gospel demand of us? And uh, I'm sure most of you don't have Bibles. Maybe you've got a Bible on your phone. But I'm going to read to you from uh, Luke uh, chapter 8. And we're going to read a story of Jesus encountering two people who had a tremendous need in their lives. And how He graciously met that need for both of them. And uh, we will begin the the story in in verse 40 of Luke chapter 8. So it was, when Jesus returned, that the multitude welcomed Him, for they were all waiting for Him. And uh, I'd like to just open in a word of prayer and express the same sentiment to the Lord this morning, that we are waiting for Him, that our hearts are open to Him this morning. Our ears are open to hear what He wants to say, uh, because I believe that God responds to faith, and He responds to an open heart. So, if you will just pray with me. Father, we come to You this morning in the name of Your Son, Jesus. And God, we thank You that uh, You love us. You have demonstrated Your love to us, even in sending Your Son to die for us. And so, God, we pray that this morning would be fruitful in our lives. We pray, God, that you would take your word and apply it to each of our hearts by your spirit. God, this is a work that only you can do. And so, God, I pray for each one. Lord, I want to lift those up here this morning who perhaps don't know you. Perhaps they never have been born again. And, God, I want to pray that your word would be delivered with power to their hearts this morning, that you would grant them repentance to life, God, through the words of Scripture. Because again, God, this is only a work that you can do. Lord, we can do our part, but the Spirit of God must do His work. And we pray that you would do that this morning and be glorified amongst us. So come to us, Jesus. We are waiting for you and we welcome you. Amen. Amen. So they welcomed Him. Um, It says Jesus had returned. Uh, Jesus was returning from the other side of Lake Galilee where he had been uh, briefly. He'd uh, got in a boat on a stormy night, uh, headed across the lake. um, And the the purpose for his trip on that treacherous night was to go and deliver a man who was possessed by demons. As it turns out, possessed by uh, around 6,000 demons in one man. He was in pretty bad shape. He had a legion of demons in him. And uh, as Jesus had stepped onto the shores of the country of the Gerizines, uh, that man had come and fallen at his feet, and Jesus had delivered him in power. All the demons had come out, and the man had been set back into his right mind. He'd actually begged Jesus, let me come after you, let me follow you. And interestingly, Jesus, in this case, said, no, I want you to go back to your town, and I want you to tell everyone what great things God has done for you, which he did came from a place called Decapolis, that's ten cities. And he spent his time sharing his testimony there. Jesus returned from that trip. Uh, he arrives back on, on the Galilee side of Lake Galilee. And the people are waiting for him. A crowd of people are, uh, we don't know how long they've been waiting. We know sometimes crowds followed Jesus wherever he was, even into desolate places. Uh, there were times where the crowds uh, were, were um, so 
uh, obsessed with getting to Jesus and seeing Jesus and hearing the gracious words that came from his mouth, that they would follow him um, into these places and not eat the entire day. And in fact, that led to two miracles where Jesus multiplied bread and fish in order to feed uh, thousands of people who, at the risk and peril of their own lives, just followed this man. There was something about Jesus that drew people to him. And uh, I would suggest to you this morning that if you have never had a, a, a deep longing and a desire to hear the words of Jesus, to be in His presence, to, to have Him hear your voice, to speak with Him, to wait for Him, to pray with others, then you don't know the Jesus of the Bible. Maybe you got religion forced down your throat when you were at school. Maybe you had parents that thought it would be a good idea for you to be a good boy, a religious boy when you were growing up. And maybe you grew a little bitter against the church. Well, my friend, can I encourage you this morning, don't get bitter against Jesus Christ because there's never been a man like Him. You will, he will captivate your heart if you will open yourself to Him. So the crowds are waiting for Jesus. And behold, there came a man named Jairus. And he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and he begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. So Jairus comes. We don't know anything about Jairus. We don't hear about him before the story and we hear nothing of him after the story. He was, from all we can tell, a what we would call a, a good man, an upstanding member of society. He was the leader of the local synagogue. But it seems that he'd never really put much uh, time or effort into getting to know who Jesus was. He'd never really uh, committed himself to following Jesus. Perhaps he'd heard of Jesus. He must have known something in order to, to go to Jesus in his time of crisis. But how that describes so many people in the world today. Consider themselves to be relatively good people. Never hurt anyone. Never really stolen too much. You know, I'm a pretty good person. Plenty of people worse than me. And never really give Jesus Christ a fair hearing. Never really reckon with the, the astounding and staggering and challenging truths that Jesus actually taught. Never really given much attention to Scripture, never read the Bible with any sort of intent, never really humbled themselves and come to Jesus on His own terms, and actually unaware of their desperate situation, how that describes so many people in the world we live in. But then in the time of crisis, <coughs> He comes and He falls at the feet of Jesus. You know, my prayer for those of you who've never come to Christ is that it wouldn't take a crisis in your life to bring you to Him. Don't be foolish. Come to Christ. So Jairus comes, he falls at the feet of Jesus. His daughter is just about dead. <clears throat> but as he went... And the assumption here is that Jesus went with Jairus. Jesus has never turned anyone away who came to him <clears throat> in humility, who came with a need, who came to seek the help of the Son of God. 
Jesus was an incredibly gracious man. Never impatient. I look at myself, if I get interrupted while I'm doing something, I'm always struggling with impatience. I'm struggling with my own agenda and what I'm busy with and and I don't want these interruptions. Well, Jesus was never like that. He always had time for people. And so it was that he went with Jairus and it says that as he went, the multitude thronged him. I mean, everywhere Jesus went, thousands of people were pressing around him. Now, a, a woman, a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. So we, we meet these two people in the story. We meet Jairus, whose family is confronting the greatest reality of life, which is death. And we meet a woman who is burdened and laboring under uncleanness. In the nation of Israel, uh, when a woman had her monthly flow of blood, she was unclean for that period of time. And there were certain ceremonies which uh, they had to uh, do in order to be cleansed after that time of, <clears throat> of, of monthly cycle. Well, this woman had some kind of problem, some kind of, of um, constant flow of blood from her body, <clears throat> which it says she had for 12 years, which meant that for 12 years of her life she was considered unclean in the nation of Israel. She would have been um, uh, excluded from the, the social and civic and national and religious life, which in Israel were all wrapped up into one of the nation. She would not have allowed, been allowed in the synagogue. She would not have been allowed to any places of prayer. And in fact, when someone was unclean in Israel, if, if they were to sit on something, if you were unclean for any reason, if somebody else sat on that same chair, they would become unclean. If, if anyone were to touch her, physically touch her, they themselves would be unclean until evening and then they'd have to bathe in water and then they'd be released from their uncleanness. This woman would have been treated like an absolute leper in Israel. And she'd been like that for 12 years. One can only imagine the loneliness that she experienced in life. And yet she hears of Jesus She hears of a man who didn't mind stretching out his hand and touching the filthiest of the filthy. Who cleansed lepers with a single touch and a single word. She hears of him and she comes to him. Now there's two central truths of the gospel message that are wrapped up in the situation of these two people. And if we're going to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do, we have to wrestle and we have to reckon with the fact that we have a part to play in the situation of both of these people. Firstly, Jairus, his family, wrestling against, I said, the greatest reality of life, which is death. Every one of us is going to die. Death is a reality which you cannot escape. It is a brutal reality. And there is something in the human heart that knows it is a foreign intruder into the life of the universe. Death is is not supposed to be our natural state. That's why we rail against it. That's why we fight against it. And the Bible says that many people all their life are subject 
to bondage, to slavery of the fear of death. Are you fearful of death this morning? People are petrified of dying. That's why people are scared of heights and scared of flying and scared of swimming in the sea and scared of all sorts of things because we are petrified of the reality of the weakness and frailty of our bodies. We are dying. Now why is that? Why do we die? The Bible explains it unequivocally. The Bible says we die because we sin. In the book of Romans, there's a verse, Romans chapter 6 verse 23 that says this. Now the wages of sin is death. You see, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they were created immortal. They would never have died in the garden. Death was never a part of God's creation. But when they rebelled against Him in sin, He said, The day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on that day you will surely die. And when they did that, not only did they begin to grow old and die, but every one of us who were in their, in their, we were in their bodies already, because they are the genetic father and mother of all of us, the Bible says that the entire human race fell along with them. This is one of the most uncomfortable, prickly truths of Scripture, is that we are not only guilty before God, because we have personally sinned, but when we are born, we are already guilty before Him, because we carry the sin, what, what uh, theologians call the original sin of our parents. We are a dying and dead race of people because we are all sinful. <clears throat> you know, we can't speak about Christ and what He came to do and what the gospel is unless we are willing to speak about sin. So, uh, do you realize that you are a sinner? And I'm not talking about, yeah, you know, I've, I've done a, a few little things, but who, who hasn't? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that you are dead before God and that you are going to die and that your soul is going to face a judgment for how you've lived your life. Have you squared with that? Have you squared with your frailty, with your sinfulness? Which of you can say that you've never sinned? On, on a daily basis, I see my own selfishness. Many people just don't want to reckon with that. They don't want to admit their sinfulness before God. Well, if you want to know whether you're a sinner, it's a very easy test. Are you growing older? I don't know when last you looked in the mirror, but I can tell you this. You don't look as good as you used to. You know the reason for that? The reason is you're dying. That's why. You're dying. And you're dying because you're a sinner. So not only do we share in the lot of Jairus and his family wrestling with death, his daughter, 12 years of age. How unnatural is it for this young girl to be dying before her, his eyes? And he comes to Christ. But we also share in the lot of the unclean woman. The Bible says that we are all unclean. That our sinfulness has made us unclean before our holy God. And we are exempted from the life of the church, of His people, of His bride. We are exempted. We are excluded from that. 
Many people think of God as some kind of Santa Claus in the sky that they can just go to when they've got a need. And they never really square with the fact that we are unclean before Him. The prophet Isaiah put it this way. He said, but we all are like an unclean thing. We're like an unclean thing, like a, like a soiled garment. And all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. All of the things that we think we do that are so good. And how we love to think of ourselves as pretty good people. Well, all of the things that you think you've done that are pretty good, the Bible says, are like filthy rags before God. He is entirely transcendent. He is entirely holy and pure. And His eyes will not look on any amount of sin. And we are full of sin. And that is why there is an eternal separation from God for those who die without Christ. Because we deserve to be judged. We deserve it. This, folks, this gospel, this gospel offends people. But this is the gospel. You can't speak about Christ without speaking about the judgment on mankind. And God's holy, righteous, clean wrath against sin, which will be poured out to the uttermost on the day of judgment. Isaiah continues, he says that we fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. You know, in the days of Jonah, the Bible says that the people were eating and drinking and giving in marriage and marrying and they didn't even think about the preaching of of Noah when he was preaching righteousness daily as he was building that ark. The Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness. They ignored him. They wrote him off. They scoffed at him. And then the Bible says the door of that ark was closed and the rain started to fell and the water swept them all away. Don't let that be you, my friend. So we share in the uncleanness of this woman, exempted from the life of God because of our sin and dying. In body and soul. We continue the story. The woman came up behind him. Touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood was stopped. And Jesus said. Who touched me? And when all denied it. Peter and those with him. Said. Master the multitude throng and press you. And you say who touched me? But Jesus said. Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. I want you to know this morning, I'm here to declare to you that Jesus Christ has power. That still today He has power. He is as real today as He was on that day. After He died, He rose from the dead. He is alive. He ascended into heaven. He still is in His physical human body in heaven, seated at the right hand of God. And in the person of the Holy Spirit, He comes and He inhabits His people. And He comes and He applies the preaching of the gospel to the hearts of men. Jesus Christ has power and He can deliver you from death and He can cleanse you from your uncleanness. Wonderful news. He said, I felt power going out from me. Then the woman saw that she was not hidden. She came trembling 
and falling down before him, even as we saw Jairus falling at his feet. So now she falls at his feet and she declares to him in the presence of all the people the reason that she touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Second point I want to make to you this morning is that only Jesus Christ can deliver you and me from death. And only Jesus Christ can declare you to be clean, though you are unclean. Now why is that? You know, the Bible makes these exclusive claims. It's been a source of great contention, particularly in a postmodern world in which we are now living, where people don't want to... to Uh, stand on any kind of truth. That what's true for you must be true for you, but I'm on my own journey and you need to respect my journey. But the Bible doesn't play that game with man. Jesus said, you can only come to the Father through me. Now why is that? That is not, folks, if you are willing to, to wrestle with that a bit, it is not an unreasonable claim. In fact, let me tell you what's unreasonable. To say, whatever you believe is true for you, that's unreasonable. It doesn't make any sense. No, the Bible says only Jesus Christ can deliver you from death. Now, why is that? Because He is the one who overcame death when He rose from the dead. And only Jesus Christ can cleanse us of our uncleanness. Because He is the one who lived a perfectly clean life. Here's how it worked. Mankind, including every one of us, had a debt to pay God which we cannot possibly pay. It is far beyond us. And yet, because the sinfulness resides in man before a holy God, a man must pay the wages of the sin, which we said earlier is death. A man must pay those wages. And yet there is no man who can pay them. None of us can pay that wage. Only God can pay that wage. Only a holy God can be a righteous, righteous and holy enough to pay the price and cleanse us. And so what did God do? God became a man. He became a man. We share the thing that all we have in common is we share in flesh and blood. And so he came and he shared in flesh and blood. And he lived the righteous life that none of us have lived. He fulfilled God's law perfectly on our behalf. And then he went to the cross and he died the death and suffered the punishment that we should have suffered. So he becomes clean where we are unclean. And he suffers death and overcomes it by raising from the, being raised from the dead. Where we could not suffer that punishment ourselves. And the Bible says, in order to be saved, we must be found in Him. And it is being in Him that we are then counted as clean. His cleanness becomes our cleanness. And His life becomes our life. That's what it means to be a Christian. To be found in Jesus Christ. Now lastly, how does that happen? We continue with the story. He says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, Jairus, 
saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him. Jesus knew there was a moment here in Jairus' situation where it could have gone wrong, where he could have despaired, where he could have walked away. And there is a moment for some of you in this room this morning where you can either turn and walk away and you can disregard the message of the gospel or you can come face to face with Christ and be reconciled with God. There is a moment for you this morning and Jesus gets him in the eyeballs. He says, look at me. You've just had terribly bad news, but look at me. And he says to him, do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except those with faith, Peter, James and John and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She's not dead, but sleeping. What a curious way of talking about death. Death is sleep. And in fact, many times in the New Testament we see that. That death is called sleeping. You know the Bible says that death has lost its sting for the Christian. See, the, 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 the sting of death was sin. And the strength of sin is in the law, which we haven't kept. But Christ has fulfilled the law and he's raised from the dead. And therefore Paul says triumphantly in the book of Corinthians, he says, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Death is carried away in victory. I mean this absolutely, unequivocally and honestly when I tell you this. I look forward to the day of my death. I have absolutely no fear of death. I know where I'm going. And it's a better place than this. And while I'm in this life, spend myself as best I can to win souls for the Lord. To reach people with the gospel. And I may do a poor job of it, but I'm going to give it my best until the day I die. And I encourage you to do the same. <coughs> he says she's only sleeping. And they ridiculed him. Knowing that she was dead. Some people scoff at this message. If the Spirit of God does not open your heart to the message of the gospel, it will be foolishness to you. And yet, if the Spirit of God opens the heart of a man while the gospel is being preached, tears will stream down his face and he will fall on his knees at the feet of Christ and he will beg for forgiveness. So I pray for you today that the Spirit of God would open your heart to your desperate need for Christ. She's, she's only sleeping. They ridicule him. But he put them all outside. And he took her by the hand. And he called saying, Little girl, arise. And then her spirit returned. Do you, do you know that you're more than a body? Richard Dawkins would have you believe that this is all that you are. The Bible teaches otherwise. It says that you, you, you live in a body, but you are a spirit. You're, and then when you die, you become a disembodied spirit. And then with the resurrection on the last day, you will receive a resurrected, glorified, strong, incredible, physical body. And we will live in all 
uh, power and in freedom from sin and freedom from sadness in a physical, real place just like this for all eternity with Christ Himself. That's the promise of the Gospel. Incredible promise. Her spirit returns and she arose immediately and He commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished. But He charged them to tell no one. What is it that God requires of you if you are to have your part in this great salvation? There's an old song that says, uh, Nothing in my hands I bring, only to the, cro- the cross I cling. Here's what God wants from us as sinners. He wants us to do what Jairus and the woman did. He wants us to fall on our knees at His feet. What does that mean? That means repentance and that means faith. Only believe and you will be made well. God is not interested in your good works. He's not interested in your money. He's not interested in promises of a renewed or restored or reformed life. He's not interested in that. Listen, my friend, you can't reform your life. Sin has a hold on you that you cannot be freed from without Christ. Jesus said, whoever sins is a slave of sin. And you know that's true. I don't have to tell you that. There are things in your life that you, if you've not come to Christ, that you have struggled with all your life. Maybe it's a pornographic issue. Maybe it's an outbreak of temper and of anger that you cannot control. It comes over you. Listen, you are a slave of sin. And you will die in your sins without Christ. But He comes and He offers freedom. He says, if you will come to me in humility, and if you will repent of your sins, if you will say sorry, if, you will, if your heart will be broken over your sin, and if you will look to me respectfully as a holy God, and if you will put faith in what I did in my son when I hung him on a cross for you, when I beat him with blows and whips of the whip for your sin, when he carried your iniquities, And every one of the sins that you remember yourself committing in your life. When He carried those for you on the cross. If you will put your faith in that. I'll forgive you. By faith we are saved. So I leave that challenge with you this morning. Come to Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins my friend. And put your faith entirely in Jesus, hanging on the cross for you, dying for your sins, being raised from the dead so that you too can be raised from the dead one day. Put your faith and confidence entirely in Him, not in yourself. And His righteousness will be given to you. Let's finish Romans 6.23. We started with that. For the wages of sin is death. The rest of that verse says this. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending him to be the sacrifice for sinners. We thank you that all of the punishment for our sins was laid upon Him and He took the blows and the brutality 
of our judgment upon himself. God, what can we do to thank you for this? That though we are rebels, you have reconciled us to yourself. Because you are a God of love and you are a God of mercy. We thank you for the gospel. Lord, I want to pray for each man here this morning. Lord, I want to pray for a deep conviction of sin, a troubling conviction to come upon those who don't know you, Lord, that they would know that they are in desperate trouble, Lord. Subject to death, subject to uncleanness. But I want to pray you also open their eyes to the Son of God crucified for them and risen from the dead, that they might be forgiven. Grant them life today, God, as only you can do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can I, Stephen, ask you a question? Sure. If there's somebody here today that wants to give his life to the Lord, what, what, pray, what, what, what prayer would you pray? I know there's not a, a recipe, but... Yeah, then I would, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant in public meetings to get people to stand or put up a hand because, you know, it's not the putting up of a hand that saves you. It's the, it's the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit that saves you. So I don't want people leaving here thinking I'm a Christian now because I raised my hand because often that's not the case. But if you want to be saved, it's the simplest thing in the world. There was a thief on the cross next to Jesus and all he said was... Jesus, just remember me. And he was saved. You see, God looks into your heart. (coughs) A a simple prayer of repentance and faith. And and you don't need me to coach you to do that. Maybe you want to grab a friend here today, if you haven't done that, and say, come, pray with me. And you're welcome to come and speak to me afterwards. I would just encourage you, sorry, you need to be baptized if you haven't been. If you're coming to Christ, you need to be baptized and you need to be baptized into a local church. That's what baptism is, being grafted into a local body of believers. You're not saved as an, as an individual, you're saved into a body. And if you need help with that, you can come and chat to me and I'll certainly walk a road with you if you want me to. So God bless you. Thanks again for having me.